வணக்கம் நீங்க கேட்டுட்டு இருக்கிறது சும்மா ப்ரொடக்ஷனோட பகுத்தறிவு பாட்காஸ்ட் வணக்கம் நேர்களே இந்த பதிவில் நம்ம பேச போகிறது குடும்ப வன்முறை ஆங்கிலத்தில் டொமஸ்டிக் வயலன்ஸ் அப்படின்னு சொல்லுவாங்க இந்த பிரச்சனை வந்து நீண்ட நாட்களாக கிட்டத்தட்ட எல்லா சமுதாயத்துலேயும் இருந்தபடியாக தான் இருக்குது இது பல்வேறு கோணங்களில் வளர்ந்தபடியும் இருக்குது அதுவும் நம்ம மாதிரி வளர்ந்து வளரும் பொருளாதாரங்களில் வந்து இதோடைய தாக்கம் சமுதாயத்து மேலே ரொம்பவே அதிகமாகவும் இருக்குது ஏன்னா அந்த எக்கனாமிக் டிஸ்பாரிட்டின்னு சொல்லுவாங்க அந்த பொருளாதார வேறுபாடு வந்து பல வர்க்கங்களாக நம்ம வந்து பிரிக்க போடுறோம் ஒரு ஒருத்தவங்களோட பொருளாதார சூழ்நிலை ஒரு மாதிரி இருக்குது அதுக்கேற்றாப்பில் அவங்க ஒரு ஒரு விதமான நெருக்கடிகளை சந்திக்க வேண்டியது இருக்குது அந்த சூழ்நிலையில் நம்மளுடைய சிந்தனை சொல் செயலெல்லாம் பல்வேறு விதமாக இருக்குது ஒருத்தருக்கு ஒருத்தர் நம்ம எப்படி தாக்கிக்கிறோம் அப்படிங்கிறது வந்து நம்ம புரிஞ்சிக்க வேண்டிய அவசியம் இன்றைக்கி இருக்குது வெறும் சொற்களாலேயும் தாக்கிக்கலாம் க தாக்குறதுனாவே அடித்து கையை உடைக்கிறதுன்னு கிடையாது ஆக இது வந்து குடும்பத்துக்குள்ளே இது எப்படி இருக்கலாம் கணவன் மனைக்குள்ளேயாக இருக்கலாம் பெற்றோர் குழந்தைகளுக்கு இடையாக இருக்கலாம் சகோதரன் சகோதரிகளுக்கு இடையே இருக்கலாம் இல்லை நண்பர்கள் பக்கத்து வீட்டுக்காரங்களோட இருக்கலாம் சொந்தக்காரங்களுக்குள்ளே இருக்கலாம் எப்படி வேணால் இருக்கலாம் வேலை பார்க்குற இடத்துல நம்ம கூட வேலை பார்க்குறவங்க நமக்கு கீழே வேலை வேலை பார்க்குறவங்க இல்லை நமக்கு மேலே வேலை பார்க்குறவங்களோட இது எப்படி வேணால் இருக்கலாம் இந்த வயலன்ஸ் அப்படி இந்த வன்முறைங்கிறது வந்து நான் தினசரி வாழ்க்கையில் நம்ம இருக்கிற வேலை பார்க்குற இடமா இருந்தாலும் சரி வீடாக இருந்தாலும் சரி இது இருந்தபடியாக இருக்குது வளர்ந்தபடியாக இருக்குது ஆனால் நிஜமாகவே இந்த வன்முறைனா என்ன இதை எப்படி புரிஞ்சுக்கணும் இதுக்கான தீர்வு என்னவாக இருக்கும் அப்படின்லாம் நம்ம யோசிக்கணும்னா இதுக்கான நிபுணரை நம்ம சந்தித்து பேசணும் அதுக்கு இன்றைக்கி நம்மளோட பேச இணைஞ்சிருக்காங்க திரு கேரல் அண்ட் பீட்டர்சன் இவங்க வந்து இந்த டொமஸ்டிக் வயலன்ஸ் அப்படிங்கிற இந்த தலைப்புலேயே வந்து முனைவர் பட்டம் பெற்றவங்க நீண்ட நாட்களாக இதில் ஆராய்ச்சி செஞ்சு இதில் பணி செஞ்சுக்கிட்டு இருக்கவங்க கலிஃபோர்னியா மாநிலத்தில் இருக்கிறாங்க இவங்க வந்து இந்த மாதிரி பல்கலைக்கழகங்களில் பாடம்லாம் இது சம்மந்தமாக நடத்துகிறாங்க இதே மாதிரி இது ஒரு இவங்க வந்து இந்த குடும்ப வன்முறை அப்படிங்கிற தலைப்புக்குள்ளே ஒரு நிபுணர் இவங்க பல நீதிமன்ற வழக்குகளாக இருந்தாலும் சரி வேறு எந்த பிரச்சனையாக இருந்தாலும் இவங்களை அணுகி அதுக்கான தீர்வு பெறுறதுக்கு பல பேர் இவங்களை நாடி இவங்க உதவியில் பயனடைஞ்சிருக்காங்க வாங்க நம்ம அவங்களோட பேசுவோம் குட் மார்னிங் கேரல் தேங்க்ஸ் ஃபார் ஜாயினிங் அஸ் ஆன் பர்தறிவு பாட்காஸ்ட் இட்ஸ் அ பிளஷர் ஹேவிங் யூ ஹியர் நவ் விதவுட் ஃபர்தர் டிலே ஐ லைக் டு இன்வைட் யூ டு கிவ் அ ப்ரீஃப் இன்ட்ரடக்ஷன் ஃப்ரம் யுவர் சைட் Um, yes, I'm uh, Dr. Carol Ann Peterson. Um, I'm with the U- University of Southern California School of Social Work, where I teach a course on domestic violence. And it's also a course I created, but I've also been a trainer for the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. I also consult with attorneys on domestic violence cases. And I've been in the field for over 35 years, so uh, it's an area I know very well, and I'm looking forward to addressing your audience. Sure, sure. Thanks. Let's jump right into uh, the discussion. Uh, you know, today's topic, uh, you know, and your area of expertise is domestic violence. We would like to begin with the definition of domestic violence. What is domestic violence? How do we understand that? There isn't a uniform definition, but globally, most of us use um, information that's really sort of a pattern. So it's isolation, it's um, obsessiveness, you know, looking through somebody's cell phone to see who they're contacting. Um, it may keep them away from family and friends. Um, it's also intimidation and threats. And for um, part of your audience who are, in the older section don't mean to call them older but um if they're you know in their mid 20s it could also be an immigration issue uh threats of deporting somebody it's economics it's withholding funds uh or handling all of the funds it's threats to family members if they don't uh, comply so all of those add up to what somebody who's an abuser would do to make sure victims don't leave Mm-hmm. thanks for that uh, i do have a follow up question uh, on that uh, right here uh, uh, e- even in our country uh, you know the rate of uh, divorce cases is on the rise uh, you know uh, uh, many couples are uh, getting separated uh, and and, and uh, when we speak with the lawyers who are associated with those divorce cases often times the starting point of uh, those uh, family issues are uh, you know uh, are you know what you just mentioned you know looking into people cell phones to see who they are uh, in touch with you know this whole uh, suspicion of their partner having an extramarital affair uh, 
you know yeah whether it is the case or not that suspicion itself breeds to uh, further uh, uh, resentment and then uh, from then on it's a chain of reactions and the couple they end up in the court and finally get separated and there are so many silly issues uh, that do uh, you know uh, result in that but then there's a whole lot a uh, lot of hard issues as well which are part of the uh, problem there now the the, the follow up question that i have is uh, uh, you know these kind of smaller issues that lead to divorces and you know other domestic violence while the uh, partners are in as a family uh, you know lot of them are actually educated folks now uh, you know my my question is uh, this whole domestic violence and level of education what is the correlation Well actually it's across the board whether they're educated or not what you get is most abusers grow up in violent households so they believe this is how relationships work and what we're trying to do is educate both men and women that it really is an issue of uh, doing prevention uh looking for the signs and understanding what that's about um but it's also a question of making sure everybody knows what is a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship and a lot of this starts very subtly it can happen while they're dating it could happen um you know um along the lines anywhere but it's really very subtle because abusers are very charming everybody likes them and to the victim who has to live with this it's not so charming that it's really ugly but it'll be oh i love you i can't live without you um i tell my students if you have a partner who's saying that you might want to look a little deeper um because if they can't live without you then there's something that should put you on alert um nobody will love you the way i love you um that also sh- should be another sign of of being alert as to what's going on uh very subtle things um such as um even calling family members too often why did you call your mother three times this week um and so you really want to be on the lookout for really the signs while you're dating Uh these are also usually whirlwind courtships as we call them that oh I love you so much. We've been together 6 months. I think we should live together. I think we should get married. Don't rush a relationship. Take the time to really get to know each other so that you can really look for those signs. Look at how they treat their own family members. Really a huge issue that abusers will start to verbally abuse um their parents and predominantly if, if most abusers are men um uh, they'll even be very abrasive with their mother and so look and see how they treat their mom um that doesn't take away from the fact that men can be victims as well um uh, but what we see mostly is that it's generally uh women who are victims um this will escalate if they file for divorce or if they talk about divorce because what the abuser is hearing is i'm losing my possession and that's the other piece um abusers don't look at a partner as a partner they look at them as a possession and as long as i view you as a possession i feel that i'm justified in what i do to keep you mm-hmm. thanks for that now uh, you know the, these abusive individuals uh, you know who tend to consider their partner as a possession uh, you know uh, could that be related to the kind of atmosphere they grew up in uh you know uh, you know what do you think would be the causation factors that led the because this person is say in 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 his 20s or 30s when he's demonstrating this abusive behavior uh but you know uh, exactly when do you think that would have started it usually does start in in their childhood uh they see it in their own family and so they believe this is how relationships operate um what we're trying to do uh even globally across the the world um is look at um can we recognize any signs when they're kids so we can help them um now even though education may not matter we know that there are contributing factors if i grow up in poverty if i grow up in violent neighborhoods all of that's going to contribute but it really starts in growing up in a household that's violent we have learned over decades that most kids who join gangs came from a violent home 
uh, it wasn't that they walked out and got recruited by the gang and thought it was great. They were already violent. And so we need to really look at how are we raising our kids, both in our homes and in our schools, so we can do a lot more prevention. Mm -hmm. Thanks. And now, uh, the, the, my next question is about correlation between addiction and domestic violence. Uh, you know, in your experience, how, you know, how have you noticed substance abuse and its connection to domestic violence? Well, you get two, two uh, viewpoints on this. You got the abuser who may be using, um, whether it's alcohol or drugs, and many times they want the victim to use with them. The other side of this is victims will use predominantly um, medication, usually prescription drugs, to mask the pain of what they're going through of living in the, in the violence. What we've learned with victims is once we get them safe, most of their addiction disappears. We very seldom have anyone who's a hardcore addict. Um, that's not necessarily true of the abusers. So we really need to do prevention on multiple fronts. Most of the time, it, to let your audience know, is that abusers do not have a mental health disorder. That very seldom happens. And it's not a true psychological disorder because for this to be a true psychological disorder, uh, abusers would do this with neighbors, would do it with bosses, as well as family members outside of their parents. And they only do it generally with um, their uh, intimate partner, or as I said, sometimes with their, their parents. So this is not a true psychological disorder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, now, uh, okay. Can, can this whole abusive behavior in other ways, you know, uh, there are situations where the individual could be abusive in nature, but he or she could be perceived to be uh, someone who is just uh, uh, keen and conscious about having control over things. Uh, you know, someone who's very keen on controlling the way things run around themselves. Uh, you know, uh, if that is going to be the perception, then this whole identification of the abuse, uh, you know, uh, uh, doesn't happen. Now, now, now how, how do we differentiate uh, someone being control conscious and, uh, you know, abusive? What's the difference there? Um, there's other signs you want to look for. Do they call their partner names that are derogatory? Um, do they um, also, if they're out together somewhere, does the jealousy appear? Um, you know, if you and I were at a function and we're friends and I'm with somebody who's abusive and I say, oh, how are you? It's good to see you. Somewhere in the course of the evening, I'm going to be asked, am I talking to you? Why did I talk to you for 20 minutes? How do I know you? Because you may never have met my partner. Um, that becomes kind of a, a sign that, you know, both victims as well as family friends might want to look out for and to realize. Um, there's control in terms of economics. Now, I have a really great friend. Her husband has um, all the economic control, but it's agreed upon. It was something they agreed to. He's better at balancing the checkbook and keeping track of where the money's going than she is, as opposed to somebody who controls the money because I don't trust you. Um, one of the, the examples I use is that abusers will ask a victim to go grocery shopping but you have to come back and account for every penny. Um, you have to get everything on the grocery list and they'll check the mileage on the car if, if they drive. So it's all of those things that go beyond control that is not agreed to. Okay, now we have been discussing, uh, you know, this format of domestic violence, mostly between partners, husband and wives and so on. Uh, you know, how does domestic violence materialize or look like when it is between siblings or within relatives where, uh, you know, uh, the two individuals, both the perpetrator and the victim have a huge age difference, like, like an adult and a child? Well, in terms of siblings, it's how the law defines the, uh, that violence. Um, many countries define that as family violence versus domestic violence because they're not in an intimate relationship. Uh, but you can still see that many times. Somebody who might be controlling and abusive will use their, their siblings as kind of their, um, uh, their primary ground to kind of, you know, do this. Um, 
but it'll be the same thing. Who are they talking to? Who are they with? Uh, this is where parents can be very influential because maybe um, it's not something that the parents have taught a sibling. Sometimes siblings learn this from out, outside. Um, it really looks different with siblings than it does with intimate partners. But for those who are younger, even in dating, you want to look for still all of those signs. Um, and it really becomes very difficult if we're not teaching teenagers what to look for in a dating relationship. Um, we get, you know, uh, schools who are trying to implement this in uh, health classes, but you'll also get parents who will opt out so their kids don't have to take these classes because they think it's their job as a parent. I wouldn't want to take anything away from a parent, but at the same time, kids learn a whole lot that um, they carry out into the world that they don't realize that they may have learned at home. And parents who opt out may not realize that they're in a, a violent relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Uh, now, that takes me to the next question. Uh, and that is, let's say uh, the abuse does not happen in front of an audience, it happens uh, in private circumstances where the victim is all alone and there's no witness about it. And you know, let's say if we have someone close to us within the family, be it a sibling, uh, a partner, parent, or some relative as well, uh, you know, how do we know if a certain uh, individual is going through such domestic violence or a certain format of abuse, uh, you know, outside of uh, everyone's view? Um, most of the time it is hidden. Most abusers are very careful that it's not out in public. Um, you want someone who's a family member to feel comfortable of coming to you, of talking to you. If you notice signs, which you might, um, oh, you know, I've been here an hour, I have to get home. Um, oh, you know, uh, my husband's been texting me, I need to get home. It gives an indication that they're being sort of watched or controlled. Um, just let them know, you know, if there's something going on, if you need help and assistance, we're here. We'll, you know, we're family, that's what we do. What we often find, however, is because victims go back multiple times, um, family will give up. Um, you know, we've taken you in 10 times and you keep going back. We're not doing this anymore. That's where I say you've got to hang in as family members. Um, kind of the, my theory is that victims leave multiple times and go back. They're trying to figure out how far can I go before I'm found? What are the consequences? How severe is the abuse? They're really looking to see um, what is their escape. So it's kind of a trial and error run about where they can go. Who gives them support? Is it safe to go to family members and friends? So there's multiple reasons why victims go back. Sometimes they may not work. Um, you know, if you're in your 20s and, and mid 20s and married and working, um, you might not have a job if you're the victim uh, because that gives you avenue to outside sources. So if I don't work, maybe I've never worked, I don't have job skills, if I've got three kids, trying to leave is going to be really difficult because now I've got to figure out how do I provide for my family. Okay, thanks, thanks for that. Uh, you did mention about kids coming from violent households uh, and then uh, them being attracted towards uh, crime networks, them joining gangs and you know their association with bad company as a result of them you know growing up in a violent uh, situation. Now uh, if, if uh, the household is such that the parents are in a constant state of fighting and maybe they have an addiction problem to battle for themselves and then the kids grow up. So, you know, if kids come from that kind of families, are they vulnerable, like you said, uh, you know, to join these things? What's the relationship between younger people, uh, you know, uh, taking the life of crime uh, just because of the kind of situation that they grow up in? Well, in the United States, we know that 82% of our gang members come from violent homes. So that in itself gives you a baseline to realize that, um, you know, when they're having to escape their house because they can't stand the fighting, somebody's going to, quote unquote, adopt them 
a gang is a likely source. Um, the difference is gangs welcome them, they make them feel wanted, they give them something to do, they have a place. And even though it's violent, that's not uncommon to the person who's joining the gang because that's what they see in their house. Um, all they know is they're getting attention from the gang that they don't get in their household. Um, and so that makes it that much more difficult to really sort of separate them out. Um, we've learned in the United States that most of our gangs recruit kids as young as five years old when they know they come from a violent household. So uh, would I be correct to say if, uh, you know, uh, angry families stop being angry and stop being violent, that can help uh, reduce the number of recruits that these criminal networks get? Well, we don't use the term anger because it's not an anger issue for the abuser. Uh, studies uh, have indicated that when uh, abusers get violent, their blood pressure goes down. Those of us who get angry, our blood pressure goes up. Um, in fact, recovering batterers, and that's how they refer to themselves, is that they knew what they did every time they did it and they chose to be angry. So it is a very conscious thought of what they're doing. Um, what it really comes down to is can we get the abuser to reform, to rehabilitate? Um, we know that bachelor's intervention programs work to some degree, but it's like anything that we all take on, whether we wanna quit smoking or we're dieting, you've gotta work the program. Most abusers don't think they have a problem. They think it's everybody else in the world. And therefore, uh, working a program becomes very difficult for them. Um, two programs I know of in um, the United States, Man Alive believes that these programs should be three years. Most programs around the world are 26 weeks to 52 weeks, about two hours a week of counseling. Um, but it only deals with their belief system. It doesn't deal with their childhood trauma. So what we'd also like to see is individual counseling to deal with the childhood trauma of growing up in abuse. The other program, interestingly enough, is in Tel Aviv, Israel, where they have sort of a halfway house. The abusers live there. Um, they work. They have to check in by a certain time. They get two hours of counseling every night, Monday through Thursday, for six months they have close to an 80% success rate of non-recidivism. So there's something about the intensiveness of the program that works. That's what we want. We want them to deal with their whole entire life and not just their belief in relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Uh, again, getting back to, uh, you know, kids growing up in a violent uh, family, uh, you know, let me give a scenario uh, you know, in this case, uh, you know, the father is the perpetrator, the mother and child are victims. Uh, if the father comes drunk home and then there's a fight between the husband and wife uh, and, uh, you know, oftentimes the verbal duel becomes uh, a physical uh, uh, fight uh, and the kids, uh, you know, spend quite a few years growing up in this situation where, you know, they really have absolutely no control over it, but they have to be audience to this for uh, many years at a time. Would that impact the child? If yes, how? Um, it impacts the child even while they're still kids. We know that uh, children um, will, especially infants growing up in a violent household, incessant crying, um, partly because there's lack of attention. Um, part of it is that the arguments are unsettling. Uh, we've even known five-year-olds to have bleeding ulcers because of the stress in the house. Uh, this can even affect, um, affect the fetus in utero uh, so that there's low birth weight. Sometimes there's birth defects because of all of the stress on the mom while the fetus is developing. Uh, we know for teenagers, they're going to begin to act out, either being a victim or a perpetrator. Um, so you're going to see a lot of physical health issues, a lot of mental health issues, and somewhere somebody's going to be a perpetrator or a victim. Now, uh, thanks for that. Now, the same situation, uh, uh, you know, does, uh, does the impact on the child vary uh, based on the economic status of the family? You know, drunk father comes home, it's constant state of fighting between the father and the mother. A poor household versus a rich household, does that make a difference? It actually does not. Um, 
what you might get the difference is for those who are, are a little more sophisticated because they're educated is it might not be quite as physical it might be a lot more subtle uh, name calling uh, control of the many um, sometimes even in getting the kids to abuse there's a video i use that's about 15 20 years old from 2020 um, which actually showed uh, an abuser having his 13-year-old videotape the abuse, justify what he did. Um, and you get a sense that even under those conditions, um, the, the 13-year-old has great difficulty videotaping this. And this, this is a household that I would consider sort of middle-class average household. Um, not necessarily rich, not necessarily poor, uh, because she worked, there was a good income. Um, so even under those conditions, it really doesn't matter as to the economic status. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, based on your experience, uh, you know, uh, what kind of households have you observed domestic violence to be more concentrated in? Is it in the poor households or the rich ones? I think it's more visible in poorer households, um, mainly because you have a lot more law enforcement that scrutinizes those communities versus richer communities. It's a lot more subtle in richer communities. Um, there's a book that's also about 20 years old, and I haven't seen the study replicated, but it was called Not to People Like Us, and indicating that no, abuse doesn't happen in rich families. And what it really showed is that there was a real difference. The abusers in these households are much more um, cunning about what they do. They're much more aware that if I hit you and leave a mark, it's going to show. So they hit their victim where it doesn't show. They might hit in the stomach, uh, shove somebody. Um, they'll also possibly uh, when I shove somebody, shove their head against the wall, it's not going to show the mark. If I leave something, that's a mark on your head. So they're much more subtle at what they do because they're trying to cover it up so that the neighbors don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks for that. Now, uh, my next question uh, in terms of, again, differentiating, uh, you know, the act of disciplining from uh, abuse, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, at what point does it actually become uh, an abuse? Let's say, you know, there are so many YouTube videos that I have watched where uh, unruly teenagers are disciplined by their parents, where the kid is just uh, not responding to any of the calls, but busy on the game, uh, video game, and then the parent kind of breaks the video game. And I think in one video, uh, the kid kind of went on social media and did a rant about complaining about their parents forcing her to clean her room. And then the father kind of put her laptop and said, you can get your laptop when you earn yourself. And then he shot that laptop, <laughs> like uh, two, three bullets. And, you know, uh, you know, you know, the parents are not wrong there when it comes to identifying their kids' issues and they have every right to discipline them. But do you think that level of intensity at that point, you know, is that just disciplining which is justifiable or is that violent behavior? Yeah, well, shooting somebody's laptop, even your child, I think is a bit excessive. Um, it really sort of goes over the top. But if I take away your laptop uh, so you don't have access, that's a discipline. Um, if I'm really, you know, taking away privileges, uh, that's discipline. Um, you know, there's even the controversy, should you or should you not spank your child because, it, you know, is it or is it not violence? Whether we agree with that or not, it's a question of how you spank your child. Um, you know, uh, parents may, you know, just hit a child on their bottom just to get their attention. Um, but I'm not beating you. I'm not shoving you against the wall. So there is a difference between discipline and real abuse. Um, so, um, and you know, if those parents who spank their child are doing it, uh, without it being, you know, extremely violent and really abusing a child, then I don't think we can fault them for that, even if we disagree with how they do the discipline. So there, there, there's not a fine line. It's really clear usually if it's discipline versus abuse. Thanks for that. Uh, my, my next question is, you know, if we zoom out from this domestic violence issue and then see, look at it from a social 
perspective you know if there's a whole community uh, in our view uh, you know how do we uh, establish a system to detect and track domestic violence in that community um a lot of times neighbors know but are neighbors going to talk many times neighbors don't tell because they think it's private even if they disagree with what's going on uh, law enforcement has a tendency sometimes i've been to the house 10 times i don't want to go there again um, sometimes in in some countries it's also not safe to call law enforcement on those issues um, because law enforcement can't always be trusted law enforcement isn't always trusted in our own country of the u.s um, for a lot of good reasons. So it's really a question of who's willing to step up and recognize it, provide assistance, and even say something. Uh, sometimes just telling a victim that you're there if they need something lets them know that there's a safe space. It's also a question of looking at the community as a whole. If there is violence in the community, it makes it a lot more difficult to convince victims it's okay to leave. Um, and for some cultures even, if I seek out help, I may be ostracized from my community. Now I have to trust strangers. So we're asking victims to decide between trusting strangers, which is hard. Um, I don't know who you are. I don't know if I can trust you versus staying in an abusive relationship in a community where I know what happens. I know how things functions. Um, but it's also a global issue. We have to look at if we could eliminate violence in the home, is it possible that we have the ability to start to eliminate violence in our communities? Um, a lot of violence even occurs now in the workplace. If I can eliminate it in the home, do I eliminate it in the workplace? Because um, we are seeing that there's an increase of abusers coming into the workplace to uh, either kill or injure the victim, but they also take other people with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thanks for bringing up the point of abuse in the workplace. I'll get to it. But before that, my question is, uh, you know, it's about detecting and tracking domestic violence. You know, if, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the violence at home escalates uh, uh, beyond a certain point and it ends up uh, you know, with the victim or someone calling the law enforcement, it becomes a police complaint. Then there, there you know, there, there is a data or a document established, which is documenting, you know, a certain violent incident that has happened in a household. So it's either this list of police complaints or, you know, the 911 or the 100 calls uh, that uh, the law enforcement receives. It's either that or uh, the couples are uh, at the court wanting to separate their divorce cases going on. So uh, apart from these two points, uh, there is no other uh, visible database, at least based on you know, what I have observed so far, and I could be wrong, uh, in India, uh, you know, where a documentation of this domestic violence, if, if we, so you know, if, if nobody's going to call the police, and if nobody's going to court uh, you know, uh, claiming a divorce, uh, wanting to separate from their partner, then it means one nobody knows that, that domestic violence happens and there is no record of it you know there's no option for a willing third party also to identify and intervene so you know uh, you know what do you think uh, could be established to get to a state where a community can have a system to you know say detect track uh, you know this domestic violence incidents yeah, part of it is the fact that none of us get access to a lot of that data unless it's publicly released. So may not even know from the courts or law enforcement what was the number of calls. And even if you get the information, it's usually a year or two years old. Uh, so by the time they compile it and they release it, you know, we're already behind a, a year or two. Um, there's a, um, um, a program that is used in several communities throughout the U.S. called community-oriented policing, where we ask the community to be part of the solution, uh, be willing to recognize when somebody's in a domestic violence relationship, be willing to pick up and call law enforcement. Um, we don't ask them to, to keep the data, um, although in some communities I understand that they are, that when neighbors respond, that they've kept track of uh, the incidents, how many are in the community, um, how many times did they have to call the police to get any sort of resolution. Um, you know, if I called on your family last week, am I calling again this week? 
Um, but that takes a lot of time and efforts for communities to do that, and they have to be willing to step up and do it. But it is one of the ways that we can keep track. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we have the same issue, I think, just globally in most countries is either it's the courts or law enforcement, and we don't have a lot of records in between. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, now uh, I, I'd like to get your views on this uh, abuse in the workplace. How have you observed it and what do you think is the status of that version of violence? Well, even if I got a victim to safety, if they don't change the job, then it's an easy place for an abuser to find them. Um, and what we've learned is that abusers are very good at obeying the law. So if I have a restraining order and it says 100 yards, abusers are going to be 101. Um, to put that in context, that's the, the average size of a football field. I know somebody down at the other end of a football field. And so as the abuser, I'm going to sit just enough outside of that uh, parameter to observe. Um, but they'll, they'll sit and they'll watch somebody come and go from work. They'll uh, pay attention as to... Um, whether or not they leave a building, who do they leave with? So if I were to go to lunch with friends, oh, there are two guys in that group. Um, is she having an affair with one of those two guys? And so um, taking it into the workplace puts a lot of other people then in kind of in jeopardy. Um, we've begun to realize that um, over the past couple of years, we're getting probably close to uh, over 6,000 incidents a year in the workplace of domestic violence. And um, out of the number even of events that um, of homicides, 33% of homicides are committed by an abuser in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay, thanks for that. Uh, now, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of a sustainable solution to this domestic violence, be it at home, or at the workplace, what do you think would be a suitable preventive measure that we can all, uh, you know, uh, help develop and install in our own uh, situations and circumstances? We actually need to start with the kids. We need to start when they're really young. Um, there's a lot of behaviors that little boys and little girls do to show that they like each other that could be inappropriate. Uh, when they're really young at three, four years old, we think it's cute we need to stop it at that point and say, that's not how you treat somebody. Uh, would you like it if uh, she treated you that way or if he treated you that way? To get them to understand what is a healthy relationship early on so they don't carry on this whole process and procedure. Um, I have a couple of friends who grew up in violent households. They made a very conscious effort in their teens that they weren't going to be like their parents. And they really went out of their way to do that. But it meant they had to do it on their own. They had to really kind of seek out the help. Let's put the help early on when they're, they're really young at three, four or five years old so that they begin to realize, where do I go for help? If my mommy and daddy are fighting, is there somebody I can trust? and give them an idea of what is a healthy relationship and carry that all the way through. Um, we, you know, a lot of places around the globe do prevention education when kids are, um, you know, uh, 10, 12 years old. It may be too late at that time because they've already learned the behavior and they may not recognize what is a healthy relationship even when you point it out to them. Um, and when they're 16, 17 years old, it's already entrenched in who they are. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, the next thing is, uh, you know, in, from an administrative standpoint, uh, you know, what kind of policies, you know, do you think there is enough regulatory framework to tackle this issue of domestic violence, be it at home or at workplace? And, you know, if not, what areas do you think we need more policies and laws uh, uh, you know, to help uh, people, uh, you know, handle or tackle their domestic violence issues? I think that there's a lot of policies. I think the question is enforcement. Uh, many times it's letting people know that it even exists. Um, there's been uh, a discussion for many years in the U.S., somebody immigrating here 
should we give them information about what are your rights if you're in a domestic violence relationship so they have an idea that it is against the law in the US or against the law in England or countries where that exists. It's never happened, um, but it's something I think we need to consider that, uh, especially if I'm immigrating to a country, I may not know what all my legal rights are and especially in abusive relationships. We also need better enforcement. Um, law enforcement sometimes does their job really well and sometimes they don't. Um, we need our courts to be more consistent. Um, in the US, in our court system, only if it's a criminal case are you mandated to a batterer's program. It doesn't happen from the family court. And our judges are beginning to realize maybe they should be mandating um, batters into a program even uh, from family court so that we're more consistent. We're giving the same message re repeatedly over and over so that hopefully both abusers and victims get an idea of where can they go? Can they depend that it's going to be a consistent ruling, that law enforcement is going to consistently do their job so that everybody's on the same page? Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. The reason I asked that question is that you know, some forms of this domestic violence might not necessarily create uh, you know, visible documentable evidence. You know, there's no hurt, there's no wounds where a medical uh, professional can certify and say this was you know, uh, caused by you know, this incident and so on. And then that could be used as evidence to take for further legal proceedings. Uh, when there is no such evidence and when in most circumstances there are no witnesses, uh, you know, how do you think the legal framework is positioned uh, when you know the victim is the only witness and you know there's no other evidence and you know that's the, they can easily counter their claim saying you are lying you want to misuse the law uh, uh, you know so you can you know take a revenge on your partner who just disagreed with you if, if that well, is the case how, how how do we work around that couple of things when we have learned that false claims are only about two percent of all claims that are made in domestic abuse so very low percentage that she's lying about this um, we teach victims to keep a log, date, time, place, if they can even take a selfie, um, send it to somebody and then delete it from your phone. Um, you know, send the log even to somebody and delete it from your phone. We teach victims how to delete things from their computer um, so that there's no history to be found. Um, but that documentation becomes very valuable. And when somebody else is in possession of it for them, it just says somebody else is aware of what's going on. Uh, it's the unfortunate piece that we have to ask victims to actually sort of advocate for themselves, mm -hmm. uh, which is really hard to do when you're living under constant fear. Uh, but it's the best way when nobody else is going to see this or understand what, what it is. So they need to keep documentation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, from from a different perspective, a lot of times they take uh, you know courtroom dismissals of such cases uh, as a statistic, and then say, "Here's how this law is being misused. Ninety-eight percent of these cases do not end up in a conviction. It means that crime did not happen." Uh, and then they say, "Those who are coming up with those claims are misusing the law." How how, how do we uh, understand that? Um. A lot of times, I think what it is, is it's not that the victim is being accused of misusing the law, is there isn't enough evidence. It's why we ask victims to keep on, uh, as I said, the date, the time, the place. Was there a witness? Is there a family friend or um, a relative who's willing to testify that this happened if it goes to court? Um, as I said, even pictures. But when none of that is there, what the court looks at is, do I have enough evidence really to convict this person? And when they don't, unfortunately, what the message is to the victim is that if you come into court, be prepared that this might not go anywhere. Um, and so that's what creates the problem. And then victims stop calling. Um, I can't hold the court liable, if you will, for anything when they don't have the evidence to do the conviction. Um, so that's why witnesses, the pictures, and the logs become very important for the court. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Uh, the other piece is uh, there are so many circumstances where I noticed among people that I know in my own circles, 
you know they were exhibiting violent behavior of different sorts it, it it's purely my perception and uh, when i took them aside and when i uh, uh, you know uh, confronted them saying you know why did you do that way why did you say like that uh, that that was quite hurtful you you didn't have to do it that way and their response was they were trying to justify their behavior uh you know and and most often in those conversations when they open up i can't mention the names uh, when they open up the first thing that they say is this is not something new everyone does this then the next thing they say is do you know what i had to go through when i was in this position now it's my turn uh, and, and and this is a very common reason that they say for something that i consider horrible so uh, uh but, but uh, you know in that discussion and in most of those discussion i tend to be this uh, minority who who doesn't get acknowledged at all and the, the only reason they have is hey everyone does it this has been happening all the time mm-hmm. and you know when i was in that position i had to go through much harder time they need to be happy that i am being soft on them i am not being as harsh as you know what my superiors were to me, you know how they behaved with me and, and that is being given as a reason what does that tell about individuals and this propagation of violence from one generation to another well part of what it says is it is from one generation to another um it also says they feel justified in what they're doing um and especially if they're using you know oh i'm being much softer than what i went through what they're saying is a kid this was really awful for me uh growing up it was really excruciating uh but i think i'm being better at this than my parents were um and basically they're not they're just perpetuating the same thing that everybody has taught them um and it really is hard to get them to understand that it's their fault it's their actions it's not the actions of their partner uh they are responsible for what they do and how they do it and who they do it to um um the one you didn't mention that i hear quite often from abusers is it's none of your business um we hear that quite often this is a private family matter why are you you know getting in the middle of this um had a, a had a neighbor who uh, was going through something very similar and um happened to see her husband one day and he said you've been talking to my wife and i said yes and he said it's none of your business and i said you know what as long as you know i'm around and i see and know what's happening i'm going to be talking to her you are on notice um it was interesting because a few months afterwards then she filed for divorce and he left her alone mhm mm-hmm. yeah so most of my uh, difficult conversations were uh, with individuals who in other circumstances were my peers and uh, i happened to be witness of what they were doing and uh, i i was probably the only ones who who raised it as an issue with them uh, but it was again a private conversation between me and them and then i because they are close with me i took the right and asked hey why did you do that why would you do it this way and then uh, that's when they say here's how you are and they would in fact get back and uh, tell me you know you are being too soft you shouldn't be like this you be what you be the good guy i'll be who i am uh, and, and then you know there's the sense of pride uh, in being rude Uh, in being arrogant and uh, you know in abusing the other person simply because they are in a position of power and then uh, the big rationale is everyone does it this is how it works and then i have been through the same uh, but if that is what a person is perceiving uh, you know and that's that's what is going on in the mind uh, you know what does that tell about you know and this is not some you know random individuals who are outliers right. and and this is pretty much a common phenomena you know very few people whom i have confronted because uh, i wouldn't dare confront everyone but so it's a very small sample that i spoke with and that it's a very common thing and it's pretty much prevalent everywhere uh, how, how how do we raise the awareness uh, from this uh, angle that you know just because it happens everywhere it doesn't mean it is right is my understanding even correct am i wrong about this no you are correct um because um first of all i've started to reuse the term instead of violence i say abuse because we know that it's not always physical and and it is that sense of sort of i'm entitled uh to do this behavior that we have to to really start to try and undo and it's really difficult um when abusers believe they're entitled that um they get to do this and it really is the issue of power and control 
And as long as I've got the power, I get to have the control and I get to tell you what to do. And it's that unconscious thought of my, my spouse and my children are my property. And as long as they view them as such, they really truly feel justified in what they, what they do. And if you're the person who's the victim and you uh, defy the authority or you deny authority, you're going to be seen as being in the wrong. And as an abuser, I'm going to say I'm absolutely within my right to do what I did. Um, whether what I do to you is softer than what was done to me as a child, I'm still within my right to do this. And it's where it becomes really difficult to undo all of this behavior, uh, to undo the generation after generation, because they really truly don't believe that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Now, uh, in, in a workplace setup, uh, uh, you know, do you think a, a separate committee uh, or a group of individuals, uh, you, know, as, you know, serving as a grievance council where uh, you know, employees or members of that organization who can go out of that chain of command and escalate certain issues uh, and get those addressed. Do you think that would help, uh, you know, prevent the growth of this uh, abusive behavior over time? Is, is that a viable option or do you see that happening? Um, what I've seen in several countries, Canada, England, um, the U.S., and I recall even France, in looking at workplace violence, what we've done is give um, corporate America and corporations in general the ability to file restraining orders against an abuser so that they can't come onto the workplace. Um, and it covers all employees, not just the one, em one employee. Um, where we have a problem is I'm not going to see the abuser who uses the company car, the company cell phone, the company computer to harass and stalk and threaten a victim. So you can protect a victim on one side, but if I can't figure out what the abuser is doing on the other side, it makes it difficult. Um, but um, having corporations and companies, even small mom and pop shops, be aware when there's a victim, what they can do to help and protect, even if that means calling law enforcement, um, you know, any other, other means, it's giving the support to the victim that becomes the, the most valuable. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Thanks. Uh, now, my, my next question is, you know, uh, 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 it, it is my strong belief that uh, a, a good bunch of or a good portion of the leaders of the future are listening to our show. Uh, and, you know, if, if, if I were to ask you, what would you advise the leaders of the future, uh, you know, to be aware of, to do so that they can help uh, prevent and correct this uh, rising domestic violence across households and workplace? What would that be? Um, first of all, I want young men to know that um, they have the future in their hands as leaders, and therefore re recognize that women are going to be right alongside with them in the workplace, um, that uh, look and see what they want to be as leaders of the future, um, that you want to set the example for their own kids and for others around them. For women, understand what all the signs are be on the lookout for what does it mean to be an abusive relationship even as a teen and dating um, so that they also can set an example for the future uh, when they're out there leading and for some of them uh, both men and women they're going to be leading countries they're going to be leading corporations and to be the example that they would want others to see mm -hmm. sure Th thanks for that i'm sure that will get our leaders of the future thinking about uh, this issue. Uh, before we conclude, uh, you know, for uh, those of our audience who are based uh, uh, in the United States, uh, you know, if, if they have an uh, issue with domestic violence abuse or if they know someone who needs help in this direction, how can they get in touch with you? Um, they can go to Carol Ann, it's one word, C-A-R-O-L-A-N-N at Carol Ann Peterson, and that's S-O-N on Peterson.com. Uh, send me a quick email and um, I can either answer questions for them or get them to organizations that can help them. Mm -hmm. Sure, thanks. Uh, I, I'm sure they would have noted it down. Uh, 
uh, again, uh, uh, Carol, uh, thanks for taking time to join us on Earth Review Podcast. It was a pleasure. I'm sure uh, your insights, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, will be used to prevent uh, some portion of domestic violence moving forward. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we are uh, uh, grateful for your presence here. Thanks for taking time to speak with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I always look at it. If I reached one person, uh, we're that much further ahead. சரி இப்போ பேசிட்டோம் கேரளோட நல்ல அருமையான கலந்துரையாடல் இது வரைக்கும் இது இப்படி தான் அப்படின்னு நான் என்ன நினச்சிக்கிட்டு இருந்தேனோ அதுவே ஒரு சில நம்பிக்கைகள் வந்து தகர்க்கப்பட்டிருக்கு அப்படின்னு தான் சொல்லணும் அப்போ இந்த வன்முறை அப்படிங்கிறது வந்து எங்கே எப்படி வேணாலும் வரலாம் நான் அவங்கக்கிட்ட கேட்டப்பையும் அந்த சப்ஸ்டன்ஸ் அப்யூஸ் அடிக்ஷன் இந்த போதைப் பொருளுக்கு அடிமையாகிறத வச்சு கேட்கும்போது போதைப் பொருளுக்கு அடிமையாகிறவங்களாம் அவங்க வந்து வன்முறையில் ஈடுபடுவாங்களா அப்படிங்கிற கண்ணோட்டத்தில் தான் நான் அதை கேட்டேன் ஆனால் அது மட்டும் கிடையாது அதிக நேரம் இந்த மாதிரி வன்முறையால் பாதிக்கப்படுறவங்க அதுலேருந்து தப்பிக்கிறதுக்கு போதைப் பொருளை கையில் எடுக்கிற ஒரு சூழ்நிலையும் வரலாம் அப்படிலாம் அவங்க வந்து சொன்னாங்க இப்போ அது அப்படியும் ஒரு கண்ணோட்டம் இருக்குது அப்படிங்கிறது அவங்க சொல்லும்போது தெளிவாக புரிஞ்சுது இன்னொன்று வந்து கடைசியாக அவங்களும் வந்து இந்த பிரச்சனையை வந்து அவங்க ஏற்றுக்கிட்டாங்க உலக அளவில் எல்லா இடத்துலையும் ஒன்றும் காவல் நிலையத்தை விட்டால் நீதிமன்றம் இந்த ரெண்டு இடத்த விட்டால் இந்த மாதிரியான குடும்ப வன்முறை எங்கேயுமே பதிவே செய்யப்படாத ஒரு சூழ்நிலையாக இருக்குது நேர்களே நீங்கள் வந்து இதை கேட்டுக்கிட்டுருக்கவங்க வந்து பெரும்பாலோர் பதினெட்டுலேருந்து இருபத்தெட்டு வயது உடையவங்க தான் இதை நீங்கள் கேட்டுக்கிட்டுருக்கீங்க வருங்காலத்தில் ஆட்சி பொறுப்பில் இந்த நிர்வாக பொறுப்பிலலாம் வந்து உக்கார போகிறதுல நீங்களும் இருப்பீங்க அன்னைக்கு தேதியில் என்றைக்கு உங்கள் கையில் அந்த ஆட்சி வருதோ இன்றைக்கி உங்கள் கையில் அப்படி ஒரு கட்டுப்பாடு ஒரு நிர்வாகம் வருதோ உங்களால் முடிஞ்ச வரைக்கும் உங்கள் சூழ்நிலையில் எந்த பிரச்சனை எங்கே எப்படி நடந்தாலும் எந்த வன்முறை சம்பவம் நடந்தாலும் அது எப்படியாவது ஏதாவது ஒரு இடத்துல பதிய வைக்கணுங்கிற நோக்கத்தில் ஏதாவது ஒன்று உருவாக்கி வையுங்க அது வந்து ஒரு நோட்டு போட்டு ஒரு பேனை வச்சு எழுதி வச்சாலும் சரி இவங்க சொன்ன மாதிரி யார் பாதிக்கப்படுறாங்களோ நாங்கள் அவங்கக்கிட்டே சொல்லுவோம் இந்த மாதிரி எப்போ எத்தனை மணிக்கு எத்தனை தேதி அடித்தாங்க அப்படிங்கிறது வந்து எழுதி வச்சுக்கிட்டே வாங்க அதையும் நீங்கள் எல்லாத்துக்கும் தெரியும்படி வச்சுடாதீங்க உங்களை அடிக்கிறவங்களுக்கு தெரியக்கூடாது யாருக்காவது அனுப்பிட்டு உங்கள் பக்கம் அதை ஃபோன்லேருந்து டெலிட் பண்ணிடுங்க இல்லை காணொலி எடுக்க முடிஞ்சால் காணொலி எடுத்து வைங்க அப்படின்லாம் வந்து சொல்கிறாங்க அந்த மாதிரி நம்ம ஏன்னா யாராவது குடும்பத்தில் பெரிய சண்டை வந்து யாராவது போலீஸை கூப்பிட்டு அது கம்ப்ளைண்ட் ஆச்சுன்னா அந்த காவல் நிலையத்தில் அதுக்கான தகவல் இருக்கும் இப்போ காவல் நிலையங்கள்லேருந்து இந்த மாதிரியான தகவல் எடுத்து நம்ம ஆராய்ச்சி செய்யலாம் இப்போ என்ன மாதிரியான குடும்ப வன்முறைகள் வந்து காவல் நிலையம் வரைக்கும் வருது அப்படின்னு ஆனால் எல்லா குடும்ப தகராறும் காவல் நிலையத்தில் போய் முடிகிறது கிடையாது அதே மாதிரி எல்லா குடும்ப தகராறும் விவாகரத்தில் போய் முடிகிறது கிடையாது அப்போ ஆனால் இருக்கிறதே இந்த நீதிமன்றமும் காவல் நிலையமும் மட்டும்தான் இந்த மாதிரி பிரச்சனை வந்துச்சுன்னா பதிவு செய்கிறதுக்கு ஆனால் இது இல்லாட்டினாக்க எங்கேயுமே பதிவே செய்யப்படாமல் இப்படி பல வன்முறை சம்பவங்கள் நடந்துகிட்டு இருக்கு பொருளாதார நெருக்கடியில் போச்சுனாக்கா இந்த மாதிரி வன்முறை சம்பவங்கள் அதிகரிக்கும் ஏற்கனவே அதிகரிக்க ஆரம்பிச்சிருது இப்போ கொரோனா வந்து ஊரடங்கில் பல மாதங்களாக வீட்டுக்குள்ளேயே முடங்கி கிடக்கிறதுனால எல்லாருடைய மனநிலையுமே ஒரு குறிப்பிட்ட அளவு பாதிக்கப்பட்டிருக்கு இதோடைய தாக்கமும் நிறையா வரும் ஆக இந்த மாதிரி இது இது பல்வேறு சூழ்நிலை கொரோனா வந்தாலும் வரலாற்றையும் இந்த டொமஸ்டிக் வயலன்ஸுங்கிற இந்த பிரச்சனை வந்து நீண்ட ஆண்டுகளாக எல்லா சமுதாயத்திலையும் இருக்கிற ஒன்று தான் ஆனால் இதில் இன்னமும் தீர்க்கப்படாத ஒரு பிரச்சனை இதில் என்ன இருக்குது அப்படின்னாக்க இந்த மாதிரியான குடும்ப வன்முறை சம்பவங்கள் எங்கே எப்படி நடந்தாலும் அது எங்கேயும் பதிவு செய்யப்படாத ஒரு சூழ்நிலையாகவே இருக்குது எப்படி மக்களை கொண்டாந்து இந்த மாதிரியான பிரச்சனையை பதிவு செய்ய வைக்கலாம் இதுதான் நம்ம வந்து சிந்தித்து பார்க்க வேண்டிய ஒரு விஷயம் தயவு செஞ்சு இதை பற்றி சிந்தித்து பாருங்கள் இதை பற்றி நாலு பேர்கிட்ட பேசுங்கள் உங்களில் நாளைக்கு ஐபிஎஸ் ஐஏஎஸ்ஸாக நிறைய பேர் வந்து உட்காரலாம் அன்னைக்கு உட்காரும்போது உங்கள் மாவட்டத்தில் இதை நீங்கள் எப்படி செயல்படுத்துவீங்கன்னு நீங்கள் இப்போவே யோசிக்க ஆரம்பிக்கணும் உங்களில் நிறைய பேர் நாளைக்கு தேர்தலில் நின்று மந்திரியாக வந்து உட்காரலாம் அன்னைக்கு உங்கள் தொகுதியில் இதை நீங்கள் எப்படி அமல்படுத்துவீங்க அப்படின்னு யோசிக்கணும் இல்லை அப்படிலாம் நான் பெரிய அளவுக்கு எதுவும் ஆக போகிறதில்ல நான் ஏதோ ஒரு நிறுவனத்தில் ஒரு பொறியாளராக பணி செய்ய போகிறேன் அப்படின்னா நீங்கள் வந்து ஒரு நிர்வாக பொறுப்பில் போய் உக்காருவீங்க அப்போ நீங்கள் ஒரு மேலாளலாக இரு இருக்கும்போது உங்கள் அலுவலகத்தில் இந்த மாதிரி பிரச்சனை நடந்தால் அந்த மாதிரி பிரச்சனையை எங்கே எப்படி பதிவு செய்யலாம் ஏன்னா பிரச்சனையை முதல்ல பதிவு செய்யணும் அப்போ தான் அந்த பதிவு செஞ்சு பதிவு செய்கிறதுக்கான வாய்ப்பு உருவாக்குனா பிரச்சனை நடக்குதுங்கிறதுக்கான ஆதாரமே நமக்கு கிடைக்கும் நம்ம அதை தீக்கிறோம் தீக்கலை அதுக்கான தீர்வு கிடைக்கிது கிடைக்கல அதெல்லாம் அதுக்கப்புறம் பார்க்கலாம் ஆனால் முதல்ல பிரச்சனை பதிவாகணும் அதுக்கப்புறம் பதிவாகிறத பிரச்சனையாக இல்லையான்னு விசாரித்து
இதை நம்ம சரியாக புரிஞ்சுக்கிட்டோம்னா வருங்காலத்தில் நம்மளால் இந்த மாதிரி வன்முறை வராமல் நம்ம தடுத்துக்கலாம் மற்றவனை நம்ம திருத்துறதுக்கு நம்ம ஆயிரம் முயற்சி செய்யலாம் ஆனால் அதில் வந்து அது நம்ம பொறுப்பும் கிடையாது எல்லா சூழ்நிலையும் நம்ம கட்டுப்பாட்டிலையும் இருக்காது அதனால் அதுக்கு பெரிய பலன் இருக்குமா அப்படிங்கிறது கேள்விக்குறி தான் அதுக்காக அதை செய்ய வேண்டாம்னு நான் சொல்லலை ஆனால் அது எப்படி வேணாலும் போகலாம் அது வெற்றியாகவும் இருக்கலாம் தோல்வியாகவும் இருக்கலாம் அதனால் எந்த பயனும் இல்லாமலும் இருக்கலாம் ஆனால் நம்மளுடைய வாழ்க்கையை நம்ம கட்டுப்பாட்டில் வச்சுருப்போம் அதில் நம்ம தான் எல்லாம் முடிவும் பண்ணுவோம் இந்த மாதிரி பிரச்சனையை நம்ம இப்பயே புரிஞ்சு வச்சுக்கிட்டா வருங்காலத்தில் நம்மளால் இப்படி ஒரு பிரச்சனை வராமல் நம்ம தடுத்துடலாம் நமக்கு இப்படி ஒரு பிரச்சனை வறுமையானால் அது பிரச்சனைன்னு நன்றி